Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey guys, this is Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin, and welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. Hi, I'm Will Summer, a politics reporter at the Daily Beast, where I dig into all the darkest recesses of American extremism and extremely online militants. I'm currently working on a book about QAnon and its disastrous impact on our society. I'm also a senior political reporter at the Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. I've spent years covering the intersection of entertainment and politics, and in the post-Trump era, that seems like the only sense way to cover politics in this beautiful, hideously stupid country of ours. On this podcast, we're going to take you on deeply reported plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, the grifters, and the influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. We're here to help you better understand how and why this is happening. And who in the halls of power are letting it happen? Along the way, we'll regularly bring on guests, including political pros, hard-nosed reporters, and some influential voices from Hollywood. Will, I feel like you and I don't crunch data enough on the show or talk about the polls enough. Welcome to Wonk Talk. Exactly. Earlier this week, on Monday, a Reuters Ipsos released a poll that got quite a bit of buzz online. One of the findings in it showed that 53% of Republicans still think Trump is the, quote, true president of right now. Will, what were some of the other findings that caught your attention in this uh, Reuters Ipsos? Yeah, well, I kind of want to focus on the Trump true president one. I mean, on one hand, obviously very ominous, right? Very grim. And and, and I think this is something we've, we're trying to get through on Fever Dreams, which is that like <laughs> things are pretty bad out there. And definitely, you know, when I journey off into the Republican internet or Republican conferences, there really is sort of a, a, new, a new reality emerging. I think what was curious to me about this poll, right, is the phrasing of, and I think they capitalize true president as though this is some sort of like it's like a sovereign citizen like a like a true title like a secret the secret constitution title but here's the interesting thing about true president right is that on one hand i think most people look at that and they mean that like Trump really won the election and that he he is the legitimate president, but he does not currently control the United States government. But there is a faction and a not insignificant faction, I think, of Republicans who think that Trump is literally still in control of the government. Wouldn't that speak poorly of Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, right. I mean, but but this is like a thing you run into. And so it's like there was a big theory for a while that like the White House that we see on a day to day basis where Jen Psaki does her press briefings or that Biden might speak at, that that is, in fact, a soundstage at Tyler Perry's studio. That's a popular conspiracy theory. Is this a QAnon thing or is this parallel to QAnon? It's sort of a QAnon thing that has gone like so many QAnon things that has sort of become denatured from QAnon and sort of lost the QAnon branding and has sort of is just sort of a, a thing out there. Yeah, it, they did a backdoor pilot. It's like a Law & Order spinoff. I gotcha. I do think this poll hints, I certainly don't think 53% of people think that Trump is still in control of the government, but I do think that this poll hints at sort of the, the tantalizing idea that a fraction of the population thinks Trump is, is still in control of the government. Well, the non- insignificant fraction of the population that has had their brain rotted with that. I mean, logic is not going to penetrate this part of the discussion, but if you actually did believe that, why isn't your opinion of Donald Trump going through the floor at that point? Like, if you are a liberal who somehow thought Obama was still secretly controlling the levers of government during the four years of the Trump administration, shouldn't your opinion of Obama be that he is collectively one of the worst presidents of all time as a liberal? <laughs> Like, he's obviously not doing the job well. That is sort of the disconnect, right? Where it's like, you know, oh, the gas prices are going up, everything. Oh, but Trump is secretly still in power. I mean, there's a lot of, like, focus on, like, plane flights where they're like, oh, this plane is secretly Air Force One, all this kind of stuff. Like, with so many other things, it doesn't really hold up to a ton of scrutiny. And another finding that was in this Reuters Ipsos poll that came out earlier this week is that a very, very, very significant percentage of Republican respondents said that they blame Antifa for the January 6th Capitol riot and like Antifa or anarchists or far left insurgents who were being agent provocateurs or simply trying to make then President Trump look bad. Now, 
It doesn't surprise me that a good number of people believe this on the right in America or sort of believe it, but it wouldn't shock me. And again, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't, there's no way of me actually knowing the percentage of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if a good share of those respondents figured out that, okay, they're thinking in their head, this is a smug pollster asking me this question and it is code for do I still support Donald Trump or do I hate Donald Trump? So they're they figured out kind of what they think the pollster is trying to get at. So, of course, they're going to pick the question that at least signals to people that they are still a Republican and still loyal to Donald Trump. I don't know. I mean, I do think that a ton of people think Antifa did the riot. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not disputing that at all. I was just reading something on the Gateway Pundit yesterday that was like the doors to the Capitol were magnetically locked. And so only could I mean, this is like we're talking about like Bond supervillain stuff and could only be released by like uh, someone got their hands on the magnets or something. And then I was like, well, that's interesting. I don't think that's true. And then I, I was like, what's their source on this? And it was just some guy who was like, I'm pretty sure those are magnets. And that got a ton of traction like on right wing Telegram and stuff. So I think in the same way that I think obviously Democrats are trying to get some sort of January 6th commission going. The true detectives of the uh, the pro-Trump internet are still certainly sorting through sort of their proof that Antifa was behind uh, January 6th. Well, since we're still on the topic of things that are forever going to be rotting our brains for the rest of our lives, Will, tell us a little bit more about the Arizona audit, the pro-Trump Arizona audit that you have been following very intimately over the past few weeks. Is it accurate for me to say, as an observer and someone who has placed a few calls to sources and such on this topic, that it is only getting stupider? The Arizona audit's back. Yes. Okay, so it's been a couple weeks since we've updated the Fever Dreams gang on the Arizona audit. And you really have to stress, like, this is like the story right now, if you're like really into, into Trump. I mean, this is like Indiana Jones is out there and they're like digging for for the evidence in Maricopa County. But right now, so the, the audit had to take a couple days break, I believe, because they were doing some high school graduations in the same space. There was some competition for the space. But now the audit's back on. And, and I think what's really interesting is we're starting to get the handful of sort of like legitimate elections experts who were able, typically through the Secretary of State's office, to get access to the audit. We're starting to get their accounts. And they are freaking out. I mean, this audit is somehow, and I mean, we knew about the bamboo fibers. We knew about the UV light. But now, I mean, these new accounts are just like, it's somehow even crazier than we imagined. What is so nuts about the accounts, though? Yes, sure. So, like, there was this there was this op-ed in the Washington Post last week by by one of the elections observers. Um, and, and basically, so they have to go through two million ballots, right? And so that's a lot, needless to say. And they originally only had, I think, like a two or three week period uh, to do so. And so what they did was they just had them, they had the ballots kind of like just shooting past like a, like a card counter or something. It was just like, and so, and people were just kind of like, 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 you, you know, just like, ah, I think that's a Biden ballot. And it sort of spit by. And so basically what's going to happen and is this like lotto, like when the balls are all spinning in the same sphere? Essentially, yeah. I mean, it, it's that these are they're sort of just being like shot and it's like, OK, you have like maybe let's say five seconds before the next ballot is shot through. And so inevitably that's going to result in some some off counts or people maybe they miscount a, they don't count the, a ballot at all and so what's going to end up happening is that then they're going to say oh the count is totally different from the ballot count from November 3rd um, and from the previous recounts and then they're going to say you, this election was completely screwed up and so I mean it, it certainly seems to be headed that way I think there's already a lot of issues where they're like we don't have enough ballots or we have too many ballots but but sort of the the auditors aren't grappling with this totally crazy process that that is producing these these mis- Right. And also, if our listeners are curious about how much our glorious former president is invested in this Arizona audit, don't get me wrong, this is something that is indeed front of his mind as he is continuing on with his anti-democratic crusade in his post-presidency. But because of the way that his brain works, I was talking to uh, someone who is a pretty close friend and associate of Donald Trump's who was recounting that in recent days they had gotten a phone call from former President Trump. And one of the first things out of the gates they were asking them about was, did you see my pal Mike Lindell on Jimmy Kimmel recently? Isn't it amazing how he went into the belly of the beast and how he really took on the liberal media and these liberal talk show hosts? And the person's kind of nodding along, talking about, okay, okay, the, the former president is still focused on late-night talk show hosts. And then he immediately pivots to, so let's talk about Maricopa County. Can you give me an update on that? 
So in terms of the health and safety and security of the American Republic, you can feel confident that Donald Trump is still keeping front of mind both how late night comedy is being very nasty and unfair to him. And also, how can Arizona make me president again? These are two things that are running on parallel tracks with him. So perfect. And I mean, I think the notable thing here, and like Mike Lindell is a guy who is saying Trump is going to, basically the audit's going to prove something and that, that Trump's going to be back, back in office. I mean, the thing about the Arizona audit, right, is that the Republicans really don't have anything to point to in terms of voter fraud. I mean, they have these kind of like really sort of zany, complicated theories to lay out, but but there's nothing that you can kind of explain to the average person that makes any sense. But the Arizona audit potentially is going to produce, I think, an audit, and people watching it say it's certainly headed this way, that's going to produce something that looks official, it's going to come from the, the state senate of Arizona, and it's going to say, yeah, this election was like irretrievably messed up. And, the, you know, the, the, a lot of the QAnon people, Ron Watkins, who's been accused of being Q, they've gotten really into this phrase called fraud vitiates everything. The idea being that if you can find any fraud or if you can find any sort of like weird looking numbers, the whole election has to be overturned. Obviously, this isn't going to happen. But I think it gives them kind of the the foot in the door there to then sort of create this whole new reality in which they have enough proof to at least trick a couple people into thinking that the election was fake. Right. Except in this respect, it's not something that they're just dumping on a Reddit forum. This whole thing and whatever bullshit outcome or quote unquote results they get from this is going to be blessed by the Republican Party, by the mainstream. This isn't something happening in a vacuum. It's something that has the backing of the state Republican Party and the levers of power there. Of course, from former President Trump, who is still effectively the leader of the GOP, and numerous other national and state Republican officials and lawmakers. This is the equivalent of a state legislator in Arizona saying eight plus eight equals four and a half, and then the Republican Party just getting behind it as if it is ideological lore and fact. Right, exactly. And you even have like, you have these state lawmakers, these Republicans in Arizona who were initially in favor of the audit and are now going like, oh, geez, you know, what have we done? And they're trying to back away from it. But sort of the the train is on the tracks. I think they're going to get the audit result they were looking for. Right. Whatever they do that, I'm like, what the hell do you think this was? It kind of gets crazier at the margins or the nuances or whatever. It was like, oh, I thought the bamboo guy was legit. Right. I've been fooled. (laughs) All right, Swin, there's a talent war brewing between two of the most rabidly pro-Trump cable networks out there, One American News and Newsmax. What is going on? Well, not just a talent war. It's also a litmus test war that is going on between the very Trumpy Newsmax TV and the arguably even Trumpier One American News Network. Now, on one level, The two of them keep sniping at each other that they are the true inheritors of the post-Fox News conservative media mantle. When we're talking about Fox News in the context of Newsmax versus OAN, they don't even consider Fox in the same stratosphere at this point. To the average Fever Dreams listener, it may seem a little bit weird to consider Fox News on the liberal end of the spectrum at all. But when you are in a universe where you are producing content at OAN or Newsmax, or if you are regularly imbibing the content and the TV segments of these two media organizations, Fox News is something that's beyond the pale. It might as well be an Anderson Cooper segment or the Don Lemon show on CNN or something on MSNBC for these people. So recently, OAN host Pearson Sharp, great name, by the way. I hope that's his real name. There's a lot of OAN hosts that really have sort of like cooked up in a lab names. Right. <laughs> or, or something that, a name that you think was pulled from a really old Sinclair Lewis novel. Anyway, Mr. Pearson Sharp went after Fox because of course he did, saying it was a part of some sort of liberal behemoth or liberal enterprise. But he also ended up trashing on air the competitor Newsmax as as left-leaning, which is, of course, laughable to anybody who has ever watched Newsmax. I think we have a clip from Mr. Pearson Sharp here. Fox News abandoning its core viewers for an anti-Trump agenda. Many are turning to OAN and Newsmax for a reliable news source. However, as one America's Pearson Sharp reports, digging into the background of Newsmax reveals an organization with surprisingly left-leaning leadership. The number of reliable news sources is smaller than it's ever been before. And even so, it's still getting smaller. For a long time, conservatives could count on Fox News for an honest take on what was going on. But as we saw during this last election, Fox jumped ship and headed for waters that were a lot darker blue. 
Then there's Newsmax, which likes to project an image of being a home for conservative, right-leaning, or at the very least, center-right, news. A place where anyone who's tired of Fox's increasingly left-wing angles can find a fresh take on news. But is that really the case? If you dig deeper under the Newsmax image of so-called conservative news, you'll find a very different, much more left-leaning organization. One of the best examples is how during the last election, Newsmax threw Trump under the bus and buckled almost immediately, declaring Biden the next president, despite all the evidence of massive fraud and without waiting for the contested battleground states to finish their investigation. What I love about all these like OAN things, like whenever they veer away from just like like an AP wire report, it really has the feeling of like a dispatch straight from the Kremlin. You know that like the heads of OAN like tinkered with exactly what this Pearson Sharp thing was. I mean, this is sort of a blast directed at Newsmax. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things happening as subtext and sort of beneath the surface of what you see publicly and what they're sniping at each other on air is that last week, the Daily Beast reported that, quote, in recent months, Newsmax has quietly poached some top OAN talent who, insiders said, sought either bigger audiences or move away from the MAGA channel's epic nuttiness. And I'm not sure we have time to get into it now, but Newsmax has people like Greg Kelly. The fact that OAN is able to outflank something like Newsmax from the right in terms of epic nuttiness is a feat of strength, in my opinion. Well, I got to say, also, you know, you mentioned Greg Kelly. I feel like Newsmax kind of like a little more swag, a little more style. I feel like OAN feels a little kind of like bland to me. I don't know. I feel like Newsmax has kind of like a little more flash. Right. And also Newsmax, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're basically Trumpy all the way at this point, but they existed as a sort of TV network for significantly before Trumpism came along. Nowadays, OAN, I would argue even more so than Fox, even more so than Newsmax TV, defines its reach and depends in terms of staying afloat, however low their ratings are, almost entirely on Trump's patronage and Donald Trump liking them and sending out, well, not obviously not tweets anymore, but written statements about how great they are and how loyal they are to him and how they are delivering the real news to America. And the funny thing is, he's been doing this for about half a decade now, and it still has not translated into a ratings bonanza for OAN at all. But to the degree to which they are still alive and up and running, they depend depend on being blessed by Donald Trump. If you take that away from Fox News, there still is something left there. There's still going to be a major cable news network. But if you took that away from OAN, I wouldn't be surprised if the bottom just entirely fell out at this point. A good number of commentators like to compare OAN to like North Korean-esque propaganda when it comes to how much they love to flatter Donald Trump. It's kind of like a Max Headroom or like a uh, like a Blade Runner TV show type vibe. Right. I'm not sure if it even is that big of a leap to compare it to North Korean propaganda at all. Like, it is so simpering and just willing to bend over backward for any Donald Trump lie about the election or anything else that he's willing to pump out. And one of the things that they've been slamming Newsmax about recently is that they keep mocking Newsmax about sort of bending and putting out disclaimers after they start getting slammed with lawsuits or lawsuit threats following all of their regurgitation of Donald Trump's big lie about the 2020 election. So Newsmax, simply by being something of a corporate entity and not wanting to get sued out of existence, is a weakness that OAN has tried to exploit. I don't know how successful they've been about it, but it has been a source of mockery for them lately. We'll see who has the last laugh when OAN becomes Dominion Smartmatic TV. Right. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the Newsmax may, may win there. Considering how, like, sort of slavishly tied OAN is is to the Trump movement, Christina Bob, who's a host on OAN, who's not only, right, was, was involved in the post-election legal effort for Trump. She never disclosed it to her viewers, at least not before we first reported this uh, during the presidential transition, but she was secretly working on Giuliani's legal team that was trying to subvert democracy and overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election while she was covering it on air at OAN as ostensibly a reporter or TV host. <laughs> now she runs this outfit that is funding the Arizona audit. So, I mean, these are like the kind of classic journalism ethics that you're taught in J school. Fund something you're reporting on. This is like Pulitzer <laughs> level stuff here. Right. And again, I know OAN, I don't think any of our listeners are expecting journalistic excellence or adherence to norms or ethics 
from them, especially when it has to do with supporting Donald J. Trump. But it just really is beyond the pale of what you can get away with, even at other incredibly loyal to Donald Trump media outlets. Like, at some point, this is a matter of degrees, because Fox News for the entire four years, and even before the four years of the Trump presidency, it was loaded to the brim with people who would moonlight as presidential advisors, people who would visit the Oval Office or counsel Donald Trump on the phone about policy or messaging. This would include Laura Ingram, Lou Dobbs, Sean Hannity, Pete Hegseth. The list goes on and on and on and on. When it comes to Newsmax, it is headed by Christopher Ruddy, who is, of course, a Donald Trump pal and a Mar-a-Lago member who is not shy at all about saying it's like, of course, I was on the phone with Donald Trump recently and we shot the shit about this or I gave him a little bit of advice about that. So it is a matter of degrees, but there is just something rapidly accelerated about the way OAN does it that is even more sycophantic and even more willing to breach the, the bare minimum, the bare shred of journalistic ethics uh, in order to serve Donald Trump. And at the same time, I think it can be argued that they have the least amount of influence when it comes to Donald Trump and his inner circle. So I hope it was worth it. I'm sure they think it was. Yeah, I mean, if I could riff just briefly on other OAN personnel news, we also found out last week that Jack Posobiec, Pizzagate star is and OAN personality, is now leaving. OAN. And so, number one, OAN is losing perhaps its most visible person, I think. But he's also, he's going to join Turning Points USA. And so, for me, the implicated, the interesting thing here, right? I mean, you have a Pizzagate conspiracy theorist. You have a guy last year who was just wholesale fabricating claims about pipe bombs planted by Antifa on the National Mall. And now he's going to be doing a daily show at Turning Points USA, probably the most visible campus conservative organization out there. So you see kind of, again, this sort of overlap between just like nutty conspiracy theory, Republican internet, right-wing internet, and and the more mainstream conservative movement. And I think, number one, not ideal for OAN to lose him. But I think in terms of the Republican Party returning to sanity, also not ideal. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This week, we're joined by Vice Senior Staff Writer Anna Merlin and Vice Features Editor Tim Marchman. They've done some fascinating work on Operation Underground Railroad, a QAnon-adjacent anti-trafficking group that has made inroads with major athletic figures like Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin and baseball star Bryce Harper, and puffing up their own resumes along the way. Personally, my encounter with Operation Underground Railroad came when I was at a sort of QAnon linked conference and Jim Caviezel from The Passion of the Christ said he got into making a movie about them because he was inspired by the adrenochroming of children, children being drained for their substances. I think we have an interesting episode or interview ahead of us. Anna and Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us here. Thanks for having us. Great. So first of all, Anna, if you could explain what is Operation Underground Railroad and what's the difference between sort of how they portray themselves and what they actually are in terms of what your reporting has uncovered. Right. So OUR is an anti-trafficking organization who kind of made a name for themselves by claiming to be made up of ex-military and ex-law enforcement members and saying that they were executing sort of these daring raids and rescues overseas to rescue trafficked women and children. So basically what we found in doing these stories is that they have a pretty demonstrable pattern of exaggeration in how they talk about what they've done versus just what is sort of true and provable. And we found that in both their domestic and their overseas operations. Just by way of example, they have heavily implied that they helped to rescue a young woman who they call Liliana, who they claim was trafficked when she was 11 or 12 years old. Um, in fact, 
Liliana escaped her traffickers herself when she was about 17, and there's no evidence that OUR had anything to do with it or that they met her until several years after she had been trafficked. And so we found similar patterns kind of over and over again, which suggests that the rescues and raids that they are portraying are just not in line with the truth. These guys are basically doing like, or claiming to do like, sort of like taken, like the Liam Neeson movie in real life. I mean, this is a very, they're like taking doors, they're rescuing people. I mean, this is a very sort of like all these ex-Navy SEALs, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, when you go to their social media accounts or their YouTube page, you'll see a lot of videos that are very slickly produced. They show these big, muscly operators in foreign locales, smash cut to them, you know, going down some dimly lit back alley uh, in, in search of in search of trafficked children and women. They have movies documenting their exploits. They can watch on like Amazon Prime where it shows these bearded operators in, in Haiti showing people how to use guns. And the intimation is very much that they halo jump down onto the scene of the crime, kick down doors, pull kids out of cages and do what governments are too scared or indifferent to do. And that's the kind of core of their fundraising appeal is that they're, they're taking action where others won't. And the reality of what they actually do is significantly messier and less dramatic in many ways. So I guess what we're kind of getting at here is that OUR sounds a lot in many ways like a scam, but are there examples of things that they're doing that is actively counterproductive or destructive to the cause of actually stopping whatever trafficking or rings may or may not exist in these communities? Right. So one thing that's important to point out here is that OUR didn't pioneer this so-called raid and rescue model. This was something that anti-trafficking groups were doing like throughout the 90s, to the best of our knowledge, and into the 2000s before it kind of like fell out of fashion because... It was clearly counterproductive, often traumatizing for the people who were supposedly being rescued. Um, The main thing that experts have expressed concern to us about, and OUR strenuously denies this, but uh, multiple experts in the field have told us that they're worried that this could actually, that their model could actually create demand for trafficked children specifically, because to the best of our understanding, OUR-backed operations in foreign countries involve them going into perhaps a community where there's not a lot of money, flashing a ton of money around at a bar or a strip club and saying, you know, bring us bring us kids. We would like to party with kids. Um, and doing that until children are produced. And so in several cases, it seems pretty clear that these kids were not previously trafficked. Folks that we talked to who worked with OUR who have since left said that they didn't feel like there was sufficient sort of intelligence gathering to make sure that they were actually taking down actual trafficking networks and not just netting people who might be trying to make some money. And then a recent article written by a woman named Meg Conley, who is a popular sort of blogger and writer who had gone on a mission with them in 2014, expressed the same set of concerns. She said that the mission that she went on, the traffickers appeared to be scarcely older than the victims that they produced. She was told that a couple of the kids who were netted in this raid that she was part of were not previously trafficked before that day. So the idea of creating demand is a really, really serious one, and it's one of the more serious concerns about what OUR is doing. To add to that, we've talked to experts all over the world, people who have participated in these raids, and one thing that everyone from specialists in you know providing support services to providers to people with more general anti-trafficking NGOs, people in law enforcement, former military operators, a whole range of people have stressed is that the raid and rescue model is just, it's fundamentally opposed to the kind of work that is effective, which is the kind of patient and tedious and in a lot of ways boring work of identifying victims and survivors, figuring out what they need, providing it to them, providing housing, education, shelter, basically basic social services, that's not work that gets funded at a very high level. So when you have these groups where their whole fundraising model, backed by a lot of celebrities and 
a lot of flashy promotion is that the way to attack trafficking is with guns, with kicking down doors, with violence, with getting the bad guys. There's a huge opportunity cost there in that it, it diverts attention and resources from the kind of patient, long-term institution relationship building that is effective. And it also undermines them to some extent. If somebody's work is very specifically involved with getting dental care for people who need dental care or helping train people for trades, in some ways the question becomes like, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you attacking the problem at the root? And it's this complete, total, fundamental misapprehension of what effective anti-trafficking work looks like. So that's one thing that people have expressed a lot of concern about. And the other is just that OUR, like similar groups, is a private group operating without state sanction. But they are at times engaged in pseudo-paramilitary and pseudo-law enforcement activities. And so another kind of problem or area where they have the potential to create active harm is by interfering in the relationships that NGOs with a stronger approach and even the U.S. government have with local police, with aftercare organizations for survivors. By interjecting themselves <laughs> into, into this work, there's several people have described real blundering effects where by getting in, making a lot of noise and crashing around, they just disrupt other work people are doing. They create headaches. They, you know, take up people's time. Time is a finite resource. And if you're you're dealing with G.I. Joe coming in and, and waving his gun around, that's time you're not spending doing the other work you need to do. So what you're saying is that these guys weren't able to end the scourge of human trafficking in Southeast Asia by reenacting the third act of Machine Gun Preacher, is what you're saying? Not to our knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Good, good to know. Good to know. Well, so one thing that happened specifically when we spoke to people in Thailand, where OUR has significant operations, we spoke to a sex worker advocacy group there called Empower. Empower has been active for a really long time. And it's worth pointing out that they have never heard of OUR. And they tend to know about these organizations because they periodically raid um, their places of work looking for children who are not there. But one thing that the women who work for Empower pointed out to us is that a lot of these organizations operate with the assumption that folks in other countries outside the U.S., Australia, and the U.K., where most of these groups come from, are not outraged by trafficked children. The women we spoke to, uh, the sex workers at Empower, were like, we are also mothers. We would not see a child in our place of work being trafficked and just act like it was no big deal. There is an element of pretty sort of significant, there are some assumptions made about how people in other countries view children that are not always accurate and can be pretty pretty caricatured and pretty harmful. Yeah, I, that's definitely something that a wide range of people have talked to us about is they're conflating the trafficking problem more broadly with the much more specific problems of sex trafficking and especially underage sex trafficking, which are serious and significant problems, obviously, but are just part of a, a much broader problem, like the, the, the biggest human trafficking problem is, is labor trafficking and abuse of workers. And even when it comes to the specific problem of, of child sex trafficking, not only are they kind of inflating the sheer scope of that issue at the expense of other associated issues that need a lot of attention put on them to help solve them, but they're not even doing that effectively. Like like the description Anna gave of you know, these guys will, will show up in like a really touristy part of town in say Southeast Asia and flash money around and say, bring us kids. Whereas experts in the field say that the actual child sex trafficking problem is not 18-year-olds working as, as prostitutes in a bar. It's the actual trafficking of minors at like truck stops in, in Thailand for a domestic. Basically, it's, it's an internal domestic problem. But the way these groups treat this is entirely Western-centric. Like they act largely as if the problem is that Western sex tourists come in and are just able to walk down the street and get six-year-old kids for sex parties, which is just really reductive and ridiculous view of, of what the actual child sex trafficking problem is. Right. There's a very not at all subtle racism that pervades so much of this stuff, not just as it pertains to Operation Underground Railroad, but a a lot of, um, as you said, like similar private organizations. And as someone who is Thai and Thailand is my other home country, it infuriates me why I hear other people, particularly from Western countries, organizations swooping in, parachuting in and trying to do stuff like this. Like Thailand, like any other country, has enough of its own goddamn problems. Like we don't, <laughs> this is not something that they, they or we need. Trust me. Well, the other thing that was mentioned to us specifically about Thailand is that Thailand is still functionally a military dictatorship. And so when non-government 
non-governmental American organizations come in and claim to give police money and training to fight trafficking or give them new technology, like there is absolutely no guarantee that that money and training is not being used to target critics of the regime, which was another thing that OUR didn't really engage with when we asked them about it, but is a concern. It's also a consistent thing that's come up in talking to people in several countries where they operate is that part of their model is that they provide resources and training to law enforcement agencies in this country with the presumption that like before Operation Underground Railroad came to Thailand, the Royal Thai Police didn't have computers. Like <laughs> they have computers in Thailand, guys. They they know how to turn them on and everything. Can confirm that uh, Thailand has got computers for a long time. <laughs> they even have Apple products in some places. These are not just, just random people who are out doing this. I mean, these guys have some legit connections both to the world of athletics and, you know, they, they believe there was a connection to the Trump administration. If you could lay that out, I mean, what's the situation there? So, yeah, Operation Underground Railroad was founded by a guy named Tim Ballard. He's a former HSI agent and claims to have been a CIA Although what exactly he did for for the CIA and the the nature of his his work there is is a little bit murky. He is a very, he's a very charismatic guy. He's a bit of a showman. And he was on account, a presidentially appointed member of an anti-trafficking council under Trump. So there are some wonderful photos of the two of them together at the, at the White House. And right around the time he joined that council, he was using the inaccurate story of Liliana that Anna referenced earlier in a series of cable news appearances and op-eds for largely conservative outlets where he was advocating for a border wall. So despite uh, OUR in particular's claim to be non-political, that's a little bit much. But one of the reasons they've been effective and successful is the way they, they brought in people from sports and, and other kind of celebrities to aid in the cause. There's There was, not to editorialize too much, but there was, there was a pretty ridiculous ESPN feature that aired before a Steelers game, Sunday Night Football, featuring Mike Tomlin, coach of the Steelers. There's a ton of support among just kind of rank and file players. Actually, one of the one of the reasons I initially became interested in this raid and rescue model was that I'm a Chicago White Sox fan and Adam LaRoche, who was their first baseman for a while and was terrible and ended up retiring because they wouldn't let his adolescent son have a locker in the clubhouse and <laughs> take that in practice with the team every day. After he retired, there was a puff piece at ESPN about how he'd gone on raids with a different group, not Operation Underground Railroad, but that he had, he had gone in undercover as a John, you know, trying to get trafficked women and children. It, it had really opened his eyes to the realities of sex trafficking. It was like Adam LaRoche is out there doing it. Tim Tebow has some kind of involvement in his own anti-trafficking group. This is really pretty widespread. And then there are like a pretty random variety of celebrities like Anthony Robbins, who's been a huge supporter of OUR, Glenn Beck, who has an anti-trafficking organization of his own, of which Tim Ballard is either the, the CEO or the president. There's Ashton Kutcher is not an OUR supporter, but is, is a supporter of the broader kind of cause of which it's part. There's I can't remember her name, but there was a Walking Dead actress who's actually participated on on some of the raids. And it all sounds kind of absurd, but I think one of the reasons that OUR in particular has has been successful is that it's done things like bring celebrities on its operations. It's it's very successfully catered to God help me influencers. And it's been very canny about having these kind of broadly trusted and apolitical figures like Mike Tomlin get invested in the in the cause in a way that's very anodyne. We're presenting all this criticism of, of the Swing Group and groups like it and their approach to anti-trafficking, but when it really comes down to it, it's like people are saying children being sex trafficked is bad and these are people who are doing something about it. And it's very hard to not find that appealing when it's coming from someone you like or trust. The Walking Dead actress would be Lori Holden, who for Walking Dead fans played Andrea, Dodger the zombies and taking on the sex traffickers. I think it's so fascinating what your reporting has uncovered about the difference between this image you talk about with this portrayed as these kind of badasses taking doors and the almost like farcical elements that actually go into sort of an OUR raid. And if you get into the story about the psychic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would love to get into the story about the psychic. I think about it all the time. So when we started looking at OUR's overseas work, a couple of people who had been operators on OUR missions and were 
or otherwise familiar with these missions told us that a psychic named Janet had been employed to try to find a missing child in Haiti named Gardy Marty. Basically, Gardy's disappearance or kidnapping in Haiti is one of the sort of foundational stories of OUR. Tim Ballard has said that he left his government work and founded this private organization because he wanted to find Gardy and the U.S. government like wasn't doing enough because this happened in Haiti. So basically, um, what we were told is that Janet the psychic had visions of where Gardy would be and that at least one and possibly more than one operation was organized following Janet's tips. And a couple people who are on an operation in Haiti described Janet the psychic showing up with Tim Ballard and looking sort of a little bit shell-shocked and out of place. And so we thought that OUR would deny this and they didn't. They confirmed that they have worked with Janet. They have defended the use of psychics and made it sound like this is something that law enforcement does all the time, which they might do, but that doesn't make it a good idea. And needless to say, Gardy, the missing boy, was not found and Janet's visions do not appear to have been particularly accurate. There's this great image in, in this story you wrote in March where all these kind of like operator types for OUR, are, they go to this village and they're like, wait, you know, this kid, this guy isn't here, this kid we're looking for. And it's like, why did we think he was here? And then, you know, sort of sheepishly, they're like, well, the psychic, you know, the psychic told us. Going to that image, one thing I'd stress is just that, you know, we've talked to a lot of people who have worked for or with Operation Underground Railroad, and they're by and large really serious, impressive, committed people with their hearts in the right place. It's easy to make fun of, and a lot of these people will make fun of the kind of Jason Bourne-ish elements of it. But you're also talking about people with like really serious backgrounds in a lot of cases, and much less so in other cases, which I expect we'll get to. But many of these people have really impressive, relevant expertise in intelligence gathering and building networks in, in foreign countries and things that are really directly applicable to kind of busting up trafficking networks and helping people. And so I think one of the reasons they're so shocked is is they're wondering, like, where is this intel coming from? Like, you know, why are we here? What's the plan? What's our source of information? If we've been misguided, like, can we walk that back and, and you know, figure out what's gone wrong here? Maybe we're looking in the wrong place or whatever. <laughs> like a soccer mom from Utah who does remote viewing is presented. And some people are going to be like, what the fuck? Just what the fuck? That's how you do this. Wow. Tell me, what's these OUR has sort of flirted with human trafficking conspiracy theories like QAnon? They've kind of nodded to stuff like the Wayfair conspiracy that the website Wayfair was was trafficking children. Tell me about that. So this is very specifically something that Tim Ballard has done. He generated a lot of controversy when the Wayfair conspiracy theory was first surfacing because he said, let me find the direct quote. He did a tweet that said, with or without Wayfair, child trafficking is real and happening. The children need us. And then he said in a follow-up video, no question about it, children are sold on social media platforms, on websites, and so forth. He also sort of was pretty neutral about the Wayfair conspiracy theories in an interview with the New York Times and suggested. In response to this, we should point out OUR has said that it does not support any sort of conspiracy theory. It is strictly focused on the important work it does. However, recently, um, maybe Anna wants to describe this. So the thing is, OUR continues to insist that they are not QAnon adjacent, that they have no interest in conspiracy theories, that they have no backing by conspiracy theorists. And as a result of making this claim, some of the situations they keep getting themselves into look a little weird, which is among them, a guy named Jim Caviezel is playing, meant set to play Ballard in an upcoming movie called The Sound of Freedom. Jim Caviezel um, and Ballard appeared remotely at this health and freedom conference in Oklahoma, and Jim Caviezel immediately started talking about the adrenochroming of children and stated outright that children were being tortured and murdered for their adrenochrome by elites or other evildoers also sort of indicated that Ballard had been the one who told him about these things. He said something like, he takes me through all these terms. So when we contacted OUR for comment about this, they said again that they don't support any conspiracy theories and they especially don't support the idea of the adrenochroming of children. That said, at this conference, Ballard himself made an appearance remotely. He claimed to be in a dangerous, undisclosed foreign location. And this was really quite a conference. I mean, this was one with the whole range of Q all-stars, Linwood uh, and that whole crowd. So on the one hand, OUR has been involved in Save the Children rallies. Ballard has pretty clearly played footsie with the Wayfair theory. He's, he's showing up at basically Q conferences. And on the other hand, the group itself insists that it has 
no affiliation and no association with conspiracists or conspiracy theories of any stripe, which might make any objective observer raise their eyebrows a bit. I mean, one person might suggest at least that like, if you don't want to be affiliated with conspiracy theories, you shouldn't show up at conferences where Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell are the sort of headline speakers. That seems like a just an unforced error. Right, exactly. OUR and, and Tim Ballard have reached such a level in the MAGA canon that they were immortalized in a painting by John McNaughton. And, and people, if you don't know John McNaughton's style, this is a guy, he paints like Obama trampling on the Constitution and like Thomas Jefferson is crying, that kind of stuff. And so in this case, he has Tim Ballard and his wife carrying a, a child and they're kind of being watched by all these sort of luminaries of anti-human trafficking. So Abraham Lincoln, Harriet Tubman, and then Glenn Beck and Ashton Kutcher. But I believe y'all had to reach out to Ashton Kutcher. Montel Williams. Montel Williams, yes. But Ashton Kutcher, I, I believe his reps distance himself when you ask them for comment. Yeah. So John McNaughton, for people who don't know, he's like he's like Ben Garrison, but in oil paints is the best way to describe him. And yeah, so they were selling this painting for a while as a fundraiser, which very explicitly places Ballard and co alongside these luminaries of the abolition of slavery. And um, once we wrote about this, the painting disappeared from their website. I mean, literally, Ballard has a halo over his head in the painting. He literally has a halo. This is something that we've talked to several people about who donated to OUR or or been involved um, with it and have now distanced themselves from it, have talked about explicitly, is that they found the appropriation of the abolitionist movement really disturbing and that when they brought this up to people at OUR, they've been met with kind of nonplussed reactions. And yeah, the, the linkage in that painting is really quite something when you have Tim Ballard and his wife being presented as not only the direct lineal descendants of Harriet Tubman, but to someone to whom she's like almost bowing reverentially. Absolutely. Well, uh, Anna and Tim, thank you so much for coming on. This is just fascinating reporting, and I, I know there's more ahead over advice from you both. Where can people find you? My Twitter handle is my name, Anna Merlin. You can find me at Tim Marchman, and you can find our work and that of our colleagues by following at Motherboard. Great. And I should add, Anna is also the author of the excellent book on American conspiracy theories, Republic of Lies. So that's all great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. (laughs) (laughs) On this edition of Fresh Hell, a segment in which we introduce our audience to something that they probably are not aware of that is happening in the real world that will nevertheless freak them out. We want to discuss the latest UFO-related drama. Will. Tell us about the UFOs. Right, so it's sort of a boom time to be a UFO enthusiast, right? Tom DeLonge from Blink-182, obviously he's a big UFO guy. He's about to get vindication in that the intelligence agencies next month are coming out with a report about what they know about UFOs. Barack Obama's Just to pause for a moment. A lot of these people who are part of official government and military organs who talk about this always front load and emphasize that Okay, we're not saying it's definitely aliens. They're unidentified. We don't know if it's technology from somewhere else or a foreign country or something. We we just don't know. Okay, the Tom DeLongs of the world, are they in the camp of, no, this is definitely alien? I think there's a lot of, let's see what this stuff is. Maybe it's aliens. I mean, him and, you know, people like Harry Reid, I think are very specifically interested in the alien aspect. I read recently in like a defense publication that actually like pretty much everyone in that world thinks that this is just the U.S. getting owned by drones and uh, and balloons that are being used for intelligence gathering. And so that's obviously less fun than UFOs. So let's assume that it's UFOs. Let, let's assume that it's that's an X-Files episode, you mean? Because UFO does not necessarily mean alien. If it's unidentified, it's a UFO. I believe, I believe. Okay, so there have been these UFO conspiracy theories out there for a while. And now suddenly, like, Barack Obama's talking about UFOs or maybe UFOs. Harry Reid is like, yeah, he's putting on his Area 51 cap with the little alien guy from the 90s. Donald Trump gave it a very squishy statement just a matter of days ago. Oh, what did he say? Oh, he said, 
I'm not sure if they're aliens, but if anybody does believe it's aliens, I don't want to take that away from them. I'm sorry, that's clout chasing on his part, right? No one asked him. If you're president, you have to have someone, you have to do it like Obama did, where someone was like, like, you got to tell us about the UFOs. You can't just be like, I bet you guys are all wondering what I think about UFOs. Like, you you know, he's just trying to insert himself there, I think. Okay, so what Obama? So Obama, whatever, he was like, I don't know, there's some weird stuff out there. The point being that it's a good time to be a UFO guy, right? Unless... You are a right-wing UFO guy, and in particular, a QAnon UFO guy. So it has sort of become conventional wisdom on the right, and particularly in kind of right-wing UFO circles, that these are not the UFOs they wanted. This is a false flag by the deep state, either to distract us from voter fraud. It's like, you know, here's your UFOs. <laughs> or, you know, and that's the real stuff, the scamdemic, the voter fraud. Or, and this is an interesting one, the InfoWars version of this is that, in fact, the UFOs are being created by, they're run by, you know, this kind of nefarious global cabal. There's not really aliens. But there will be a fake alien invasion in which a bunch of us die so that then the cabal can take over. Yeah, so it's like a bad interpretation of, I don't know, like the Watchmen comic or something. Oh, like yeah, that. I guess it's exactly that. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly Giant that. Giant squid yeah. is going to come down and <laughs> obliterate Toledo or something like that. And then the deep state will win. So, yeah, it's basically the Watchmen idea. And so, you know, it's funny because I think also there's this sort of thing going on with these guys. We talked on an earlier episode about the blue avians. And so these are like the benevolent aliens. And so much of UFO stuff is not like, oh, like, just look at that one. I wonder what a UFO is like. It's sort of like getting really deep into it with like, here's the alien civilization and they're going to come and save all of us, all this stuff. I guess there's kind of like a little letdown that we're kind of at this like great moment of UFO disclosure, if, if that's what it's going to turn out to be. And it's it's sort of like the the best we're going to get, I think, is like a sort of a grainy video that's like, well, that's weird. <laughs> the aliens are not going to come out and cure cancer, stuff like that. One of the biggest letdowns for me about this is that you and I were raised in large part in the 90s, when the X-Files, in a lot of ways, reigned supreme in popular culture. And a big premise behind that show, which I always dug ever since I was a child, was the government lied to you about Iran-Contra, and they told you lies during the first Persian Gulf Wars. So obviously they're willing to kill a whole bunch of people to keep the uh, deadly Martians under a wrap. That is a way cooler premise than people from the military being allowed by their public relations apparatuses to go out on a 60 Minutes or whatever to say, oh yeah, this is weird, maybe aliens do exist. Yeah, you do have to sort of feel for these people in, in some aspect, at least the average UFOologist, uh, in terms of, right, you have like the former head of the CIA and stuff being like, I don't know, like I'm a bit kooky myself. It sort of seems like they're kind of taking their the UFO guy's deal. Right, get out of here. You're like decades behind it. As you said before, Will, it sounds like these guys are clout chasing. Like you didn't believe when it was uncool to believe. Get out of here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But yeah, I mean, just generally there is sort of this this sense of like, these are the fake aliens, but there are real aliens. I mean, they still believe in the aliens. They're just kind of waiting for them. Well, if there is a major colossally historic first contact situation with an alien race or civilization, I gotta be honest, it is the one reason why I'm upset that Donald Trump wouldn't be the sitting American president to do it. (laughs) Absolutely. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 